So there's there there are two possibilities going on here. One, you're you're bringing up a term that I have never heard before. The the other possibility is that this is a term I've heard before, but it involves a language that uses pronunciation that's different from Latinate, and so you have no idea how to say it properly. An intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film. You know, it's been over 20 years, but spoilers. Oh, okay, so so the resident Catholic thinking about that, we're going for low Earth orbit. There is no rational here. Blame it on me after. And you know I will. I mean, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. <laughs> I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I'm just kind of excited that like you and producer George will have something to talk about that basically just means that I can show up and get fed. connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And um, as listeners, longtime listeners uh, may know, we we tend to record this uh, podcast in, in the evenings. And uh, our, our recording of this particular episode was just delayed slightly uh, because, uh, I, I got a, a text message from my wife, uh, who had already gone to bed that, um, I, I needed to come help her, um, because we had forgotten to put the cover on our above ground pool, um, after our son had been, uh, and, and my wife, the two of them had been in the pool this afternoon. Um, and so I got to go, uh, uh, outside and, and take care of that. Um, this is only primarily noteworthy because I never thought I would be the kind of person who ever had to put a cover over a pool, <laughs> but, um, having kids does strange things to you. And here we are. Uh, how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a high school U S history teacher up here in Northern California. Um, and uh, I am the beneficiary of a friend moving and deciding he needed to downsize from a game he no longer plays. Ooh. Um, I I basically in one trip doubled my X-Wings. Um, so all the miniatures that I have for X-Wing have now doubled and increased in diversity. Uh, the problem is that I, I don't have the space for it and my office has kind of become a bit of a mess it is amongst the chores that i have set for myself for the summer mm -hmm. one is the filing because i haven't filed anything in two years uh one mm. is it's just a big old stack i can go through it um uh another yeah, is if tragedy. only i had a podcast to listen to um, yeah while, while you did that yeah um but i can uh, recommend a couple yeah probably. office hours with dr c is a pretty good one yeah, yeah, I've heard um, yeah. uh, Face Palm America is actually pretty good. Okay, right, Rockland, yeah. yeah, there you um, go. Is is good stuff. But um, but yeah, I have a whole lot of filing to do, and then after that, I have a whole lot of kind of restructuring. Um, mm. And at the beginning of the summer, I had my kids doing the same thing in their rooms. So, as the short, short, short woman said in Poltergeist, "This house is clean, except for my office." 
So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm sitting amongst uh, a James Taylor song, I guess. You know, like okay. fine machines and and flying machines and pieces on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I look a, forward to using them. That's a deep cut, by the Thank way. You. Thank you. Um, yeah. But I look forward to using them in my Star Wars game for the kids because I figured out how to use miniatures in the West End Games Star Wars game. And so that'll... Oh, be. very cool. Yeah. So I anyway, like that's what I got going on. All right, um, cool. When last we spoke, you had just gotten into the third edition of Warhammer 40K. We discussed, yes. in fact, that there was a a colloquially termed Warhammer 30K as well yes. as uh, Warhammer 5K, um, <laughs> where you dress up as your favorite Tyranid um, and uh, you you chant blood for the blood gods as you run uh, and uh, pass, yeah. pass downtown. So okay. yeah. I think I'm remembering properly. Yeah, And there... if not, this <laughs> needs to be a thing. Like a friendly local gaming store <laughs> Needs to set needs up to, a Warhammer needs to 5K. figure out a way. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta talk to the folks at Great Escape here yeah. in here in Sacramento and be like, um, "Have I got an idea for you?" Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just have to run it past the licensing people in Nottingham. Um, I'd say skip are... over to the Nottingham people because to them, they measure things not in imperial units anyway. That's true. So you just be like a Warhammer five K, fellas. Like let's like, let's come raise on. money. Like, you come know. on. Yeah. 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 Um, that, you know, that's so crazy. It might actually work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes. So, uh, when, when we left off, um, I had just finished, uh, going through the, the kind of the Warhammer 40 K version of, uh, between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius. Um, which is a Conan reference for anybody who, you know, hasn't listened to the, those episodes. Um, and in, in the game in 1993, um, again, we, we have the status quo within the setting is that this is the state of the galaxy, right? And, mm -hmm. and the way the galaxy got this way is starting to be written down. We're starting, we, we, we are now codifying the history of the galaxy of Warhammer 40,000. And it's right. worth noting that the history I just gave you is taken from the fifth edition rule book for Warhammer 40,000. In the fourth edition rule book, um, there is no, they, they, the rule book does not go into the details of, of the history of the setting. Um, depending on the edition of the game, this information sometimes is in the basic rule book. Sometimes if you're a new player, you get like your factions understanding of the history of the, of the galaxy. When you get your army book, which in Warhammer 40 K is referred to as a codex, uh, so Codex Space Wolves talks about Lehman Russ and and the conquest of Fenry and and the the Golden exploits Sachs. of the Space Wolves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the um, you know the the Necron Codex goes all the way back into the you know birth of the universe and the old ones and the star gods. You know, millions and millions and millions of years before the birth of humanity. Mm -hmm. You know it. it Every, every faction book 
is written from the point of view of that faction. So if you're somebody who plays multiple factions, hi, like me, right? one of the wonderful things about the game is that you get this, um, you, you, you get a very clear indication of very little in this universe is um, cut and dried as this is the factual truth. You know, everybody, everybody has their, their viewpoint on everything. And what I like about that is it's, it's similar to uh, Matt Forbeck's Brave New World um, in that uh, most of it is, most of the lore is presented to you as a factional kind of thing. It's when he made this like back in 99 or so. So it's when the, the internet Mm -hmm. was nascent and everything looks like a website Mm-hmm. Um, and you have snuck into the dark web, as it were, you know, and you're checking things out, or it's a brochure from the Delta Prime group, or mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, Bargainer who's telling you about how Houdini got his powers, um, you know, and stuff like that. It's, it's really cool. The difference is that there is some layer of third person uh, omnipotence. Uh, when it comes to the lore as well it'll step in mm-hmm. do that for a while and then step out and say okay well you know when you mm-hmm. came you do da, 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 da. yeah it sounds like that third person omnipotence is largely absent from this game what what stands in for the third person omnipotence is you have the section of the rule book that is the army list and the rules for your army and that establishes that okay like this is what makes this faction different from the other factions. Sure. Here's um, what you need to know if you just want to skip the lore and get to the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when the, I don't remember, whether, I want to say it was the, it was either 6th or 7th edition. No, it was the 6th edition rule book. The night that the 6th edition rule book was going to be released, mm-hmm. my buddy Nick and I were part of the the crowd of of seething, sweating geeks uh, waiting uh, until midnight on Friday night because the game's release date was Saturday. So you couldn't get your book until 12.01 a.m. And everybody knew that 6th edition was going to be a big deal. It was going to be a big change in the rules, what all. And so uh, this is back, obviously, before I met my wife, um, <laughs> uh, when I didn't have you know responsibilities to you know keep me grounded in the real world. And so I was in a game store at, you know, midnight on a Friday. But anyway, um, Nick and I were, were in the store waiting, waiting for the book to come out. And, um, we got, we got our rule books and I immediately flipped past all of the rules, flipped straight past all of them. (laughs) And I went and I went straight to, okay, what what are there are there any new details is there any new you know how are they going to tell this story out of the lore in this rule book what are they going to cover what aren't they you know and i immediately went to all the faction lore stuff in the basic rule book and i started looking through all that stuff and looking at the artwork and all that and nick immediately opened it right up to the to the rules list Mm -hmm. and and he laughed and he said see you are like, forget about your rules. I want my lore. And I'm like, right. yeah, yeah, whatever. Fluff, lore. I, I don't give a shit. What rules? Give me right. the rules. I want to know. Right. Like, you know, and so you can you can approach it from from either one of those two kind of directions. Um, but in 
all of these editions um or, or in in third editions and in fourth and then in fifth as time goes on um the the basic kind of guidelines of this is what 40k is have some things that remain constant okay mm-hmm. um first of all uh to, to kind of go back to talking about the horus the horus the story of the horus heresy um obviously there's huge thefts from dune um and and the book of revelation in the bible um the war in heaven the the story in revelation about where we get the concept of fallen angels from mm-hmm. like the space marines are referred to as the emperor's angels of death okay and so they turned on each other and it is in the setting it is referred to by people who know about it as the war in heaven um and there's also this unconscious kind of imperialist narrative mm-hmm. um where we have the primarchs scattered out to all of the different worlds yes yeah, where they were seed to, to yeah places well and and they all land on these mm-hmm. on these different worlds and they wind up becoming better at their home cultures than the native humans of each world it's very tarzan uh, well it's very tarzan it's very um uh <laughs> the, the trope uh, as it's as it's uh, at least last time I looked it up, the trope on TV trips is referred to as mighty whitey. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to be confused you know, with uh, where white people show up in BVDs. It's called mighty yeah. tidy whitey. Yeah, mighty tidy whitey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know when, when when we talked about movies that haven't aged well, right? Um, you know the theme that that you brought up was I have multiple cases of white people being better at being indigenous than indigenous people there's yeah there's that going on there and they're always um, military white people too yeah and so this continues in the case that. Yeah. in the case of the primarchs they were designed to be not merely super soldiers but super soldier super generals right um who are also uh capable of you know a uh, great depth of learning and philosophy and and all of this other stuff mm-hmm uh, because they're just they they have been created to be superior, which also rubs up against some kind of supremacist ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the cultures that they wind up becoming part of and even the appearances of the Primarchs themselves aren't all white. But the tropes, the tropes rub up against there. some problematic yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um you I mean, you know, the the present uh well, as of this recording, the present yeah. prime minister of England is not white. Yeah. Um and yet he is decidedly a British imperialist. <laughs> yes, just financially so, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. and it's and, and like it doesn't you yeah. don't have to be white, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know. It's, yeah. Sadly, it, it yeah. 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 Um, and so as a, as, as one of the constants within, within the setting technology from the 31st millennium to the 41st millennium Mm -hmm. as of third edition and remaining that way through as a through line, Mm -hmm. um, technology has remained stagnant for 10,000 years. The the space marines of the Horus Heresy fought one another with bolt guns. 
they are okay. still fighting one another with bolt guns. The Holy Bolter is still the signature weapon of the Adeptus Astartes. Well, that sounds riveting. Nice. Thank you. Not even mad. Hmm. You would now, say that that's weld on? I, now I'm starting to get pissed. <laughs> um, heated even. Um, it's but, but within girder your loins for the next one, then nice. That, you, see back to not even mad, <laughs> well uh, but within, within the setting, a bolt gun is like a gyro jet weapon. The, the, mm-hmm. it, it fires self-propelled projectiles that are armor piercing explosive and all this. I mean, it's again, yeah, yeah, bombastic yeah. way over the top rule of sure. cool, like, super ultra know. cool shit. Yeah. Yeah. What if an a 10 had, a, was a handgun? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, but it is, but it is still awfully primitive because it's it's a projectile weapon that you know goes bang, right? In, in a universe in which humanity had uh, uh, achieved, you know, these these great technological, you know, uh, advancements. And and now the the uh, cream of the crop, you know, the elite killers of humanity's, you know, military forces are using chemical, chemical slug thrower essentially okay. kind of weapons. Right. Um. So so it's it's like it's high tech, but it's also oddly brutal and low tech at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um. The uh, the the Adeptus Titanicus, the the Titan Legions. Uh, who pilot these, you know, 30 story tall giant war machines that are referred to as, you know, uh, uh, God machines. Um, they, they have these incredibly powerful energy weapons that can level whole city blocks. Um, but those machines are 10,000 years old. They have been around since the Horus heresy. Okay. And there's, and there's, you can get into kind of a ship of Theseus question about, you know, is this the same, you know, Titan Imperator class Titan as, as it was 10,000 years ago, but still, you know, within, within the mindset of the people in the setting, it is this ancient relic of the Holy past. Right. And so because of this part of the setting, your Marine models could be fighting a battle in the present right in year 999 of millennium 41 or they could be fighting in millennium 36 or millennium 37 and tech would stay the same Te- the tech the tech has been the same for 10,000 years right and there's an unwritten understanding that your tabletop is your own version of the galaxy and you can be fighting any one of countless wars throughout the age of imperium okay um now xenos armies which is the the imperium's term for aliens xenos filthy usually usually appended with the the word filthy in front of it filthy xenos um xenos armies are a thing orcs eldar necrons tyranids they all get their own lore like i mentioned before and they all have roles in the story of the galaxy um like for example (laughs) the calming of the warp storms that led to the great crusade being launched uh happened because the eldar fucked up and created slanesh that's just like one example. And when I say fucked up, I, I actually mean literally fucked up. Um, God of excess after all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the biggest example, but 
you know, the, the depth and intricacy of this history is interwoven through all of these codices. So if you're somebody who like me, by the way, I say codices, um, because that's, that's the technically correct form of the plural within, um, within 40 K they are referred to as codexes, which like up until a couple of editions ago, anyway, it's pet peeve of mine, but anyway, um, in order to get a full picture of the history of the galaxy, <laughs> you, you would have to read. So if you're a lore whore like me, mm-hmm. you would have to read multiple army books. Even if you don't play the army, like, no, no, I want to, I want to find out like, you know, the, the Eldar, you know, the history of the Eldar and the history of the Necrons, for example, are, are intertwined. Because mm-hmm. you come to find out, if you read about it, that the Eldar were created by the Old Ones to fight the Necrons in okay. an ancient war that happened a million years before humanity evolved. Like when when our earliest ancestors were still lemurs, the Eldar were fighting a war against the Necrons. Okay. You know, that lasted for multiple millet for eons. Sure. Right. Um, and so like there's, there's this immense intricacy and all of the factions all have their own, their own viewpoint and their own role, but the space Marines and the conflict of the Horus heresy, the the space Marines have always remained the poster boys for the game. Mm -hmm. And over time, the Horus heresy and that particular narrative became more and more kind of central to the character of the universe. Okay. And, and part of that is because, you know, one of, one of the major most popular factions is first off space Marines are, are the most popular faction. Cause that's usually what everybody gets into the game and plays first. Mm-hmm. Uh, mechanically it's, you know, because space Marines are relatively, undemanding to play there's you don't yeah, the human fighter basically you kind of yeah you, you don't you don't have to like have a lot of tactical genius or finesse in order to do okay playing mm-hmm. marines they're a forgiving army mm-hmm. eldar are depending on how you build them uh classically eldar are kind of a speed kills army they're there you need to pay attention to mobility you need to pick your targets really carefully like and if you fuck something up you're gonna get wrecked gotcha. because they move really fast they hit really hard but they're fragile uh they're like eggshells aren't yeah yeah um uh the, the quote on the spine of their army book uh for third edition said their arrogance is matched only by their firepower hmm. which like i've always loved mm-hmm. um and so, so space Marines have always have, have remained the poster boys and chaos space Marines have been kind of the anti poster boys. They've, you know, the, the, the dark mirror of that. Right. And so, because these are two of the most popular armies, that narrative of Marine versus Marine and, you know, the chaos, the, the devotees of chaos, you know, screaming for, you know, the, the destruction of the false emperor and let the galaxy burn you know, all of that 
has become more and more central to the the thing that is Warhammer 40,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout editions starting in 1993, moving up for another you know 20 plus years, the present day in the age of the Imperium is the very end of Millennium 41. Thus, Warhammer 40,000. Right. Okay. Uh, year 999, M41, um, is where the timelines all stop. And, you know, we, we are we are beset on all sides by the mutant and the traitor and the, and the Xenos and da-da-da-da, you know. And, right. And there is this very intense parallel with uh, the idea of the doomsday clock uh, from, from the union of nuclear scientists, right? You know, when, when you and I were growing up, we were at seven minutes to midnight, right? There's a similar kind of tone in the way the present of 40 K is described in these editions of the rule book. It is, it is almost midnight and we are on the verge of our destruction. And it is only through, you know, these desperate measures that we can, that we can, you know, uh, yeah. uh, maintain the existence of humanity. And it was a thematic component throughout Alan Moore's Watchmen, too. Uh, a a known Brit in the 80s at that time, uh, writing uh, essentially like a scathing. Uh, I don't I don't want to call it a satire, but in many ways it is kind of. It's not a manipian satire because it's not just listing things, but yeah, it is. Um, it is what? What would you call that? Like, I don't I mean, know it, what I'd call it's it. It's an I inversion mean, of a genre. It's it's well, it's it's a it's a it's a reconstruction mm-hmm. that is all. It is a subversion. It it is a it is a subversion of it's a critique to say the, the least. superhero yeah well it's it's a subversion of of the superhero genre mm-hmm. and it is it is a critique of the Cold War mm-hmm. and like I don't know man it's an allegory yeah I think but anyway would I mean, be the, the you know the uh, the the brutality is very clear in that series um, the and the Doomsday Clock plays a big part in it. Mm-hmm. And you have somebody who is uh, so far removed from the issue. I mean, you've got some parallels going on there. Like, yeah, and that's that's happening. I believe that was what, 85, 86, The Watchmen. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but I, I know I it was mid 80s. Yeah. I mean, it, um, yeah, it, was, it is a product of the 80s. But um, for sure, you know, it, it, it very much was. um, You know, it, it, it was a product of its time. Yeah, September eighty six. Okay, there when you go. Watchmen started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and this would have been something that all of these creators would have read in and taken in because it's yeah dark as fuck, and they're doing you know. This, oh yeah, well yeah yeah um yeah. So those are those are definitely parts of the themes that are present here. And that get, and again, that get carried through. Um, and so the third edition of the game came out in 1998. Um, and 
a lot happened between second and third edition in terms of rules. So the first edition of the game was designed primarily to be like skirmish level. Each side would have 10 or 15 models on the table. Mm -hmm. Second edition came out and it was like, no, no, we're playing this at the company level. You're going to have, uh, 25 or 30 models on the table. You're going to have a much bigger force. Okay. Depending depending on what army you're playing. If you're playing Imperial Guard, you're going to have even more models than that. And then third edition went, okay, we like the scale of game that we have mm. going on here. We want to make that easier and faster to play. And so a whole lot of rules got streamlined and simplified. Now the theory also goes within fandom within within players of the game within the 40k community uh those of us who are paleo nerds um also believe that there was a conscious effort to make the rules simpler in order to bring the demographic of the game mm -hmm. down age-wise so for keto nerds and south beach diet nerds and mediterranean diet nerds not just paleo nerds yeah 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 uh, <laughs> the fuck yeah. those Atkins nerds. Oh yeah, this is yeah. Screw them. Yeah, whatever. Um, he died of a heart attack. Fuck them. Um, so okay, and so just to reset. Yeah, uh, first edition comes out what year? Um, Rogue All Trader part. is eighty-seven, and second edition ninety-three, and third edition ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Hmm. I'm okay. just, uh, I'm, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm just like kind of thinking of the timelines that are lining up and these are all printed out of Nottingham, right? This is all still yeah. very much British yeah, game, company. Yeah, this is very much British company. Um, by the time third edition came out, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to find data anywhere about like what the balance of cash flow was from uk or european players versus american players sure but i'm confident that the the balance was starting to shift by certainly by fourth edition mm -hmm. um so it, during and also something that's notable uh in third edition a, a whole new faction got introduced um previously you had space marines chaos space marines you had eldar you had uh squats at some point in second edition squats disappeared between second and third edition and i could do a whole episode on on the history of what happened with the squats but um squats as an as an army option disappeared um and in third edition they introduced a whole new race called the Tau, T apostrophe AU. And the aesthetic, this, this <laughs> you, you have the closest thing that 40 K has to an addition war is the opinions of, of members of the community about the existence of the Tau. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've talked about in Dungeons and Dragons, like you have people who are hard over about, you know, second edition 
or third edition and like, you know, fuck fourth edition. And if you're playing anything after second, you're not really playing D and D, you know, screw you. Fifth edition is so much easier. You need to like, you have, you yeah, have yeah, yeah. edition wars, right? Yeah. Within 40 K within the 40 K community. Um, and this is mostly kind of calmed down, but mm-hmm. like when the towel came out, there were so many people who were just angry about the creation and, and inclusion of, of the Tau in the game, because at this point we have this established universe and we have this tone that's established for this universe, right? Mm-hmm. It's grim, dark. Um, everybody is at each other's throats. If you're allied with somebody, you're only allied for long enough to deal with whatever the immediate threat is. And then you're going to try to kill each other. You know, nobody gets along, you know, right. it's, it's, it's grim, dark, right? Right. And then they introduce the Tau, and the Tau have all this sleek, swoopy, high-tech shit. And, like, the Eldar have high-tech shit, but their high-tech shit looks organic, and it's very clearly, you know, they 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 have their own kind of aesthetic, but the Tau show up, and they've got these, these like, you know, swift-moving power suit robots that look like something out of a mecha anime, and they're... Uh, they are the the Tau themselves are the leaders of a commonwealth where they've brought multiple races under their leadership. So within a Tau army, you're going to have Vespid units and Vespids are these bug like flying guys. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have Kroot, who are these, you know, semi barbaric kind of, you know, scouts that they use. And it's this entirely different kind of aesthetic so because they have went woke is what you're saying. <laughs> you know in retrospect i'm just um, I'm thinking about like the dates that you gave me on these things uh yeah first edition came out with old iron pants in charge yeah uh, Ma- maggie thatcher um, yeah and then uh john major was in charge for the second edition that came out um okay in 92 yeah. and then by 98 you have tony blair oh, oh shit he's you do first, don't you he's the first labor guy right he's very much a coalitionist yeah and you have, I mean, if you remember we when we talked about punk music, um, mm-hmm. you have a, a larger acceptance of um, Pakistani as well as West Indies, Jamaican, mm-hmm. uh, and so on in the late 90s, uh, enclaves and um, uh, neighborhoods and mm-hmm. as well as immigrants uh, coming in um, in the late 90s. And so, and then on the American side, you know, it was Reagan and and Bush, and then the third edition would be under Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, I think on some levels, uh, you you had uh, Reagan and Bush who had Democratic legislatures that they were working with, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. they worked with, and then you had Clinton. And by the time Clinton, by the time third edition comes out, you have contract with America. Mm-hmm. Um and impeachment, Clinton. Yeah, and worth noting since we're talking yeah. about the real and world NAFTA. timeline. Yeah, yeah. Since we're talking about the real world timeline, mm-hmm. uh, the third edition Tau Codex mm-hmm. came out in two thousand and one. Oh, okay. So, yeah, oh, yeah. So that's, that's just like yes, everything you... in October of two thousand one or before? oh no, it was earlier in the year. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and and of course, since it was since it was printed in two thousand one, they'd probably been working on it since ninety nine. Right. So, 
so yeah um and you know so that there was this <laughs> The, the town get introduced and it's like what are you what are you trying to do bringing this bringing this you know anime aesthetic into 40k you know with with you know mecca and and you know all this stuff and and the way and the way tau worked on the tabletop was different um and i mean i, I could get into the weeds you know talking about the mechanics but it, it was it was the tower a departure in a way that that some fans were like this is awesome mostly younger fans were like this is awesome and then a lot of you know gen xer <laughs> players of the game were like fuck you for bringing that to my table well, no I, yeah I, but, you, know, you know we talked about this with the x-wing miniatures game was like it's called x-wing and yeah uh, by the time they came out with b-wings and k-wings and tie defenders and tie aggressors yeah. It's like X-Wings can't hold up to some of these things. Yeah. And so balance is kind of thrown into like, well, it depends on what money you've spent on it and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's necessarily that, but I could certainly see that being kind of a driving factor as well. Yeah. Game balance, you know, in, in any kind of tabletop game, mm-hmm. uh, any, any type of tabletop war game, which X-Wing counts as one. It's a small yep. scale. It's a skirmish game. In any kind of tabletop war game, balance is going to be a hobgoblin for developers to deal with anytime they want to try to come up with, hey, let's come up with a new mechanic to try to make things, right. to try to keep things fresh, right? right? I want to come up with this mechanic uh, where, you know, you have your unit. Okay, so to get a little bit into the weeds about it, Tau would have you have your your guy your your tau soldier in a power suit and that power suit would have drones that now he's he's able to control and like he can choose whether he wants his drones to be offensive and be you know semi-independent guns so he gets to do more shooting or he can take a drone that's a marker light which you can say, okay, I don't have line of sight to this target, but my drone does, and my drone shines a marker light on that unit, and I can make it easier for this other unit or me to hit them. Get some indirect fire right? in there, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's a it's a you know it's a whole thing that like previously, within within the context of of all of the the tactical situations you were going to find yourself in, it was like, well, how the fuck do I deal with this, right? Sure. So there's some frustration there because it's a minis game. So line of sight matters a lot. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's a big, big fucking deal. And so yeah. you could get like, do the Tau come with their own psychers? Like, could you have? No. Oh, One of the things that made them special was they are utterly blind to the warp. They have no psychics. Okay. Um, and like in universe, there's all kinds of back and forth about, you know, are they some kind of engineered race? Has somebody created them, accelerated their evolution, uh, you know, to turn them into some kind of tool? And if so, who right. was it? And, you know, so like, yeah, they didn't have any kind of psychics. Uh, so one of one of the reliable ways to deal with them was, you know, bring a librarian and right. and fuck them up, um, you know, and so that's, you know. But so that that's one of the notable things about third edition is the introduction of this new race, which caused this big uh, kind of hullabaloo, right? Sure. So then in 2004, the fourth edition of the game comes out. 
Now, this is the fourth edition comes out in 2004. Uh, D&D yeah. had come out with third ed, I think, in 2000. Or, yeah, let me or, let me let me think back. No, I think it was um, 2000 or 2001. It was is right around there because I was. It was it time. was it was yeah. 2000. Okay, so I want to say it was seeing... late in 2000 because I was I I was in Hollister. Okay, teaching or I was about to start so teaching in Hollister. More more to the point, we are seeing multiple editions coming out. So even though they just come out with third ed in 98 now other game companies are coming out with new editions and so they're saying you know oh people are buying edition stuff let's hop on that train or was it true well like, oh shit we need to fix what we did in third ed like organically mm -hmm. what what you wind up finding out looking at the timeline is that about every five years or so sometimes it's less sometimes it's more um, like the difference between ninth and 10th edition is only like three years. Um, and actually the difference between eighth and ninth is pretty short. Like we, we've gone from eighth edition to 10th edition coming out this year. Eighth edition was 2017. So it's been like three years recently. Um, part of that is the 10th edition is a whole, they've, they've made a lot of changes to the rules, but anyway, um, it's, it's, I don't think it's a case of like D and D is doing this thing. So like, we've got to do this thing because 40 K as a game is a different kind of beast. Not we've got to, but, uh, Oh, look what they can do now. We, mm. we can get away with, or we can do like um, people are already spending money on this. I bet yeah. you that our table, our, tabletop people are spending money on this. I bet you we could get miniatures people to spend money on this. Like, yeah, complimentary I, I goods, not replacement goods. That might be part of it. Um, but I think, uh, see games workshop doesn't have the same issues that wizards does because they're not owned by Hasbro. Well, that's only recently though. Like, well, right? that's third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition of D and D. Oh, Hasbro owned. Oh, uh, Watsy well, no, I'm sorry. No, uh, Hasbro, Hasbro is fourth. Yeah. Fourth edition was Hasbro, but, but yeah, no, Watsy third edition. Watsy, yeah, Watsy yeah. bought them and then did third. Um, yeah, my having been in the community for this whole evolution, what winds up happening is they come out with a new edition of the game and they say, Hey, we streamlined this, we made this simpler, we did this, that, and the other thing, we fixed these things. And everybody's like, you know, some combination of that's awesome and oh, fucking, fucking fat, you know, bitching and moaning. And, you know, there's, there's both extremes every time. Um, And everybody, you know, tries the game and, and you know, plays it. And then they come out with, you know, Codex Space Marines. They come out with this edition's Codex for Eldar and all of that. And what you wind up having, like you were talking about with X-Wing, is like now... Uh, X-Wings can't compete every edition right. and they've, they've, they've worked really hard every edition that like, we're not going to have codex creep. That's, that's the term for it. We're not going to have sure. codex creep this time, but it always winds up happening. Like yeah. in, in, if I'm remembering right, it was either fourth or fifth edition. They came out with a new Tyranid codex and everybody was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. 
the galaxy is doomed. We're all going to be devoured by fucking insects. Like, oh my God. And then in the next edition, they came out with the Eldar Codex and everybody just threw their hands up in the air and bitched. And those of us who play Eldar went, yes, yes, right. our place in the galaxy is is restored. You know, <laughs> but, you know, and then they've got to go and go, okay, wait, we got to, we got to change some things. Um, and so it's, it's kind of an organic, okay, we're having to do these things to fix these balance issues that come up. And now we've done so many of these things that, okay, we might as well just say, fuck it and come out with a new edition of the game. And so it is a more organic thing as it develops. But I want to talk about fourth edition because fourth edition comes out in 2004 um, around about this time, um, I started working as an employee of Games Workshop at a retail store in Washington, in the Linwood Mall. Um, I did my time as a red shirt. Um, and during fourth edition in 2005, the Black Library, Games Workshop's publishing arm, started putting out the Horus heresy novels. Okay. And this is, this is important because for all of this time, the Horus heresy had been this important event, like in the history of the galaxy uh, that had repercussions for every other race, you know, and, but it was, but it was always shrouded in this. This is, this is the semi-mythical you know, uh, past of the galaxy. And most of the inhabitants of the Imperium don't even really know the details of what happened because chaos and they don't know chaos fucking exists. Like, you know, um, and so they decided, you know what? Um, there enough, enough people have enough emotionally invested in this that, we're going to, we're going to start trying to tell the story and we'll see how it goes. Like, you know, um, and so, uh, the Horus heresy series, uh, started in 2005 and I had looked this up and now I can't find it anymore. Um, but, uh, cause I wanted to give the title of the first novel, uh, but I'll have to look it up later. Um, and they sold so many copies of the first, so many space Marine fanboys were like, Oh my God. Um, and the first few books in the series are really actually for, you know, 40 K universe fic, um, really good. They're, (laughs) they're, they're entertaining. They're an entertaining read. Um, and if you're invested in the setting, there, there are things in every one of the books that you're going to be like, Oh, that's awesome. You know? Um, and so they start real, not just crystallizing, but, but like chiseling down in stone, this is what the history of the galaxy is. And so, um, that series has now grown to a series of 62 novels as of our recording right now in 2023. I looked it up. It is in fact, 62. I had remembered that correctly last episode and we are coming up on the ending of the novel series as the novel series has finally gotten around to the siege of Terra. Okay. And we're going to finally see the detailed, 
uh, novelization of the final battle between the Emperor and Horus and Sanguinius's defense of the Eternity Gate and, you know, the, the battles between Angron and Sanguinius directly fighting one another and, and all of the stuff that had been mentioned, I won't say in passing, but had been, you know, like five lines in a piece of fiction here and right. mentioned in the Space Marine Codex here. And now they're writing these novels and these novels are being written uh, in many, in, in most cases in the early part of the series, they're being written from the point of view of Marines in the legions. Mm-hmm. So this is now when we see that, no, no, at the founding of the Imperium, they were not chapters, they were legions. And each legion was not a thousand men strong. Each legion was 20,000 men strong. They were these armies into and of themselves. And they were the spearheads of crusade fleets that had, you know, millions of members of the, of the Imperial army, not the Imperial guard, which is what it is in the 41st millennium, but the Imperial army heading off into the stars uh, to bring unification to humanity. And unification is always capitalized. And, uh, and so, so the series starts and they detail, you know, uh, how Horus became corrupted by chaos. And we find out who it was who initially started that happening. And he was a chaplain of the word bearers chapter or word bearers legion named Erebus. And just as a side note, fuck Erebus. Um, and so, you know, we, we start seeing all of these details and over the course of from 2005 until today, mm-hmm. this story has been fleshed out novel by novel, by novel, volume by volume, by volume. And we have seen the characters of the Primarchs who by this time, by the time of fourth edition, we understood the backstory of Jagate Khan leader of the white scars, uh, primarch of the white scars. We knew the backstory of Lionel Johnson, the, mm-hmm. you know, primarch of the first legion. Like we had heard their backstories, but now over the course of the novel series, we have seen them as protagonists in, in these novels or, or second deuteragonists mm-hmm. in, in all of these novels. We've seen, how the series of events happened that led to the space wolves destroying uh, Magnus, the reds homeworld in punishment for what he fucked up. Um, you know, we, all, all of these things are now being detailed and this is awesome. This is amazing. Like, Holy shit. This is incredible. I remember overhearing, uh, as an employee of the store on Thursday game night, Mm-hmm. hearing the guys who'd gotten a hold of like the flight of the Eisenstein, which is like the third or fourth novel mm-hmm. in the series, you know, talking about, Oh yeah, no man, uh, Garrow and, and this guy and this guy, you know, the loyalists, you know, the, the, the members of the death guard who remain loyal, you know, they're fleeing the system to try to get to Terra to let the emperor know about all of this. But you know, this other stuff is going and like the, the intense level of, of passion and, and like, this is so freaking cool that was going on with all of this was amazing. And, and having all of that is great. The downside to that 
is that once you start putting those things down that way, mm-hmm. you take away room for people to tell their own story. Right. You codify things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I run into the same issue with, with playing Star Wars. If you play Star Wars in the era that is prescribed uh, by the books, I, I don't care what edition you're playing. I happen to be playing in the West End Games edition, right? So it's it's well before Disney bought it. Yeah. Um, but you're still, you're, you are kind of constrained to either doing one of two things, saying, oh yeah, we're going to hang out on the Outer Rim the whole time where the story didn't take place, mm. or you're running and gunning where the story took place and you're trying to fit in between the things that George Lucas approved and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Because again, there was a continuity person, um, you know, which is one of the reasons, you know, my kids were, you know, they both wanted to play Wookiee Jedi. I'm like, well, that doesn't fucking exist. So <laughs> I guess we're going to go back a ways to yeah. a time that has not been written about very much. And, and yeah. so, players uh you know they they don't get to if, if once you codify things uh i think it's it's fantastic to have things codified quite often um but um i understand the the downside of that is also that like oh you no longer have half the latitude you used to have now you either have to do it by kind of shoehorning things in or shoehorning mm-hmm. things out but uh yeah you don't you know it, it's it's that that story i i told you about uh dolly parton talking to the cast of snl um about like you know well once you see it on tv darren didn't have an afro mm-hmm. like you know same kind of thing yeah so yeah so and i i yeah that's so the books I had, getting written is yeah. great, but it does codify things. It crystallizes yes, it, things, and yeah, it codifies things. And so now this is this is the point at which, within the gaming community, starting around, it's not in. I don't want it's not fourth, but starting around fifth edition in two thousand eight, I want to say, uh, people within the fan community actually started saying, you know what, I want to play games of 40k in the 30k universe i, I want to play something set in the time period described in these novels sure and one of the themes that keeps coming up in the novels is during the great crusade the tech level was different um you know the the original intention of the emperor was for space marines to carry conversion beamers uh or not sorry anyway more advanced beam weapons you know basically death ray weapons as their primary armament but over the course of the crusade um they just weren't able to maintain that logistically over those distances and so that's why marines have carried bolters ever since because Mm -hmm. bolters are easy to manufacture their ammunition is easy to manufacture you know, it's like the AK-47 of the far future, right? Sure. Um, and like uh, one of the iconic um, kind of kind of uh, aspirational, I, I will know I have made it as a nerd when I'm able to get a hold of one of these models 
for a very long time was a Thunderhawk gunship, which is this gigantic uh, transport for space Marines. Mm-hmm. And in reading the Horus heresy novels, you learn that no, no, during the heresy, they had even bigger transports and the Thunderhawk came about later in the crusade because they didn't have the ability to keep manufacturing the bigger, more advanced ones. And so you, you have 30 K characters riding aboard a Thunderhawk going, man, this thing is a bucket of bolts. What, you know, and, 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 yeah. you know, and so people were like, no, 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 I want to play a game in heresy. I want to have Legion Marines fighting other Legion Marines. Mm-hmm. And so fans started coming up with, Hey, uh, particularly a group of fans call, calling themselves the fly Lords of Terra, um, you know, started coming up with a set of Horus heresy rules. Well, then games workshop, not being dummies, um put out their own set of rules that were largely very similar to the ones that were that were developed by these by these fans uh but had some important differences where it was okay no if you want to play a horus heresy game here's how that's going to work and for a long time it was a specialist game put out by forge world which is the the specialist game arms arm of Games Workshop, um, and so so there was kind of this parallel thing going on. Well, one of the one of the constant truths, if such a thing exists, of the forty first millennium, was always that. Uh, anytime you heard the story of a Primarch, it always ended with, and this is where he died. Or, <laughs> and this is, and this is how in the, you know, um, sometime in the 33rd millennium, uh, you know, uh, in the case of Layman Russ, you know, on, on this anniversary of the emperor's death or ascension, they call it his ascension to the golden throne on this anniversary uh, Layman Russ was was leading his brothers in a feast, and uh, suddenly he stared off into the distance and fell to his knees. Uh, and when he came out of when he came out of this state, he said that he'd had a vision, and he called all of his all of his closest brothers to him, and they headed off on their own crusade. And he was going to go, you know, find something because mm-hmm. he'd had this vision. And so he haired off into the eye of terror, and we haven't heard from him, but you know, the space wolves believe he's still alive and he's going to come back for the wolf time. Sure. Right. That's always the way these things end. You right, know, right, right. Um, it started out that, you know, Rogel Dorn is dead, turned into Rogel Dorn disappeared and the Imperial fists. The only thing they were able to find was one of his, one of his, the, the bones of one of his hands are kept as a relic, you know, on their, on their home world. Right. Uh, or aboard their, their f- fortress ship. You know, it was always that these are these figures of legend. This is King Arthur Mm -hmm. and they may not have died, but they're not here anymore. Right. Right. Um, A few of them were definitely like, no, no, he's dead. (laughs) Like he, he is, he is D D E D not like, no, no. But most of them, there was always, you know, he, he, you know, we believe he's going to come back or whatever. We don't know what happened to him. But they weren't there. 
Well, in 30K, once once Games Workshop started putting out the Game of the Horus Heresy, it was like, well, these are some of the central characters of these novels. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're playing 30K, man, you 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 want to be able to put your Primarch on the table. Like, because he was there. Like, no, man, I, I want to recreate Istvan, and that means I have to have Vulcan on the table. Because, like, he was there, right? Mm-hmm. And so Forge World started putting out models of the Primarchs for the Horus Heresy game. Um, and I don't have a solid date for when that happened, mm-hmm. but I want to say it was around about, I got to take a look at some other dates here to kind of triangulate it. Sorry. But... um around about by by sixth edition in 2012 they were they were well on their way to having put out resin very expensive a couple of hundred bucks for a model resin models of the primarchs for games of uh horus heresy okay and this was this was a specialized collector thing and it was strictly for 30k or Horus Heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, then in 2017, um, 8th edition was released. And 8th edition upended a whole bunch of truths about the 40k universe. Number one, um, Robot Gulliman shows up. Uh, the the story about the uh, Primarch of the Ultramarines up to this point was that he was sitting, in, he had been mortally wounded in a fight against a Chaos Primarch, and he had been placed in a stasis field. And him him sitting in this stasis field was the site of pilgrimage for uh, Imperial citizens for 10,000 years. Okay. And in in some codices... Uh, they would say, you know, and, and there are those who swear that over time they can see his wound gradually healing, hmm. but he's still in stasis and like, you know, he's not, he's not really here. Well, so 2017 eighth edition comes out and they put out a model of robot Gulliman, the series of campaign books, like, here is a here's a campaign for the game with scenarios and rules for these forces. Robot Gulliman is one of the models you can have on the table. And here is the story of how he got resurrected through an alliance of convenience with an Eldar death cult. Convoluted, crazy, 40k over the top shit. But all of a sudden, Robot Gulliman is back. And by the way. Um, at the same time, we're also going to uh, uh, introduce a whole new type of space marine. Uh, see, before before this happened to Gulliman, uh, back in the thirty third millennium, uh, he went to this this you know tech priest and said, you know, the the galaxy is going to need you know a different kind of marine. I'm reorganizing the legions into chapters and forcing them to break up and 
you know, we're, we're going to need individual Marines to be even better than they already are. I need you to look at what the emperor did and try to get closer to his original vision. Okay. And this tech priest faffed off and disappeared for 10,000 years. And all of a sudden Gulliman comes back and goes, Hey, I got to check on that tech priest. And he finds the tech priest and tech priest goes, Oh yeah, no, I got these guys. They're primary. I call them primaris Marines. And all of a sudden we have space Marine models that are bigger than regular Marine models mm-hmm. that have two wounds in the game rather than only one. And we're releasing a whole new set of vehicles that are Primaris based. And all of a sudden we have advancement in the technological timeline in the lore like, oh yeah, no, I, I figured all this stuff out and I, I improved, I, I improved on technology, which previously was like the Adeptus Mechanicus don't do that. That's heretical. Okay. But no, here he did. And it's fine now because Gulliman says it is. And by the way, we have, we have Gulliman and we have Magnus the Red as a Chaos Primarch. And then they came out with uh, Mortar, uh, yeah, Mortarian as a Chaos, as another Chaos Primarch. And we're putting them on the table and we have this dramatic upending of what had been a static setting for 24 years from mm-hmm. 93 until 2017. It had always been one minute to midnight. Mm-hmm. It had always been 999 M41 in the present. Mm-hmm. It had always been technology stopped advancing actually long before the 31st millennium, it had started decaying and Mm -hmm. got stuck in the 31st millennium. And now they make all these changes and all this stuff comes out all, all kind of at the same time. Um, and I simultaneously kind of lost my, my, my interest waned. Mm. And so now the thing is, um, they have now released another loyalist primark, as I mentioned, and this is one that I'm a huge fan of. It's Lionel Johnson of the uh, Dark Angels, and I was like, "Well, okay, fine. I'm going to have to get into tenth edition because that's too cool." But the the uh, the timeline. This is the other thing that changed majorly in the materials for this new campaign it's well uh gulliman shows up at 999 m41 is resurrected does all this stuff and then he starts a new crusade mm-hmm. um because the the galaxy there's there's a new chaos rift that's opened up that's separate that's cut off part of the part of the imperium from the other part of the imperium and so anyway um there's this crusade that he starts that they then publish a couple of novels about. And Oh yeah, by the way, the present of the galaxy in the eighth edition rule book is now a century into the 42nd millennium. Okay. And so what I find interesting is why, why this change from the universe is static. We are always at one minute to midnight. What is it that changed that led to this decision that, okay, well, we're going to advance the timeline. 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna bring a Primark back to the table onto the table in 40k for the first time, loyalist Primark, and we're going to we're going to advance. We're going to create the story that moves us into a new a new millennium. And I can't help but wonder mm-hmm. if like there are a couple of things that come to mind and and one of them is by the time eighth edition came out rick Priestley had long since retired no that was andy chamberlain right yeah okay andy chambers had left the company uh andy chambers is one of the guys that was that was a writer for for games workshop uh i'm a huge fanboy of andy chambers and his work uh, within the setting, he he'd written a whole bunch of stuff. Jervis Johnson had left, had retired, left the company. Um, all of the guys who had been part of the writing of the the first several editions of the game, right? By this point, have left. The second generation of writers. Remember that I said. Um, that the Horus Heresy is like a wrestling promo that's that's outlasted multiple generations of promoters. Yeah. So the second generation of writers, some of the earliest ones of them have left, and we now have like a third group coming in because it's been going on close to 30 years now, right? I mean, this kind of parallels the Bullet Club, although that's a much more shrunk down thing. Uh, Bullet Club was this group of Gaijin wrestlers uh, who were running roughshod in Japan. And then uh, when one of them, I think it was AJ Styles first, um, got signed to WWE, they beat him up and kicked him out, right? And then Mm -hmm. they brought in um, the next guy. And I might be mixing it up. But like the Bullet Club, you know, continued to exist in multiple iterations despite Mm -hmm. there being no, you know, none of the, the original members. It still had the same ideology. And mm-hmm. that was only over the course of like maybe eight to 10 years. So mm-hmm. a little different, but. Um, well, it's a ship of Theseus kind of thing yeah. in, yeah. in, in kind of story continuity terms mm-hmm. and staffing right. <laughs> terms. And, you know, and, and of course there are, there are plenty of uh, real world business reasons for making a decision like this. Yeah. But creatively within within the culture, I find it interesting that this change to bigger, better Marines um, and, you know, and Gulliman is back and he's now the regent of the Imperium ties in with real world events like Brexit, mm-hmm. like um, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, yeah. Yeah. And on this side of the pond, um, MAGA and Donald Trump. Sure. And it's worth noting in this context that as I mentioned in the first episode where we talked about 40K back in episode three mm-hmm. of the podcast, um, part of what also drove me out of the hobby was the fact that there were by this time a whole lot of players who were younger than me. So the Kekistan bros. Yeah. yeah, All all the, all the Kekistan types and these guys who took Warhammer 40 K imagery and explicitly wound up using it for 
pro Trump kind of propaganda. And well, you know, it's just jokes, bro. And that bullshit. But like they started referring to God Emperor Trump and taking one of the iconic images of the emperor. There's a there's a painting uh, that that one of the studio artists did of the battle between the emperor and Horus. Um, and they they took that image of the emperor and they stuck Trump's face over the emperor's face. And that became a meme. Mm-hmm. And it was like there are so many levels on which this pisses me off. Number one, you're co-opting a hobby in a universe. I, I have devoted a lot of emotional energy to for your bullshit fascist political ideology. First and foremost, number one, that's bullshit. Fuck you. Number two, you're completely not understanding the fact that like, this is all fucking satire. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and now we come back to what I said to put a pin in back in the last episode with Rick Priestley himself saying, um, that in the original edition of the game, the space Marines are some of the most self, uh, self deceiving, uh, parts of the universe because they characterize themselves and everybody within the Imperium characterizes them as these huge heroic figures and and the emperor might very well be just a just a vegetable mm-hmm. right um and or 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 not even that the emperor might be truly dead and there's no way of knowing right um and it's all and it's all written it was all written in in you know the first three editions of the game, there was still this very strong undercurrent of uh, satire. Um, you know, uh, orcs still sound like soccer hooligans. And originally when they were first written, it was very clear, Hey, this is, right. you know, look, look, look at what we're lifting from. And then it became codified and a second and a third generation of players picked it up uncritically you know and 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 that that didn't that got lost in translation across across groups of players sure and so so all of a sudden we have bigger better marines and we have you know a real primark you know showing up as as you know the big damn hero um and at the same time, in the real world, we've now had this this similar. Well, I don't know how to say. I'm 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 floundering a little bit in in the language to use, but but there is a parallel. I already said with with the loss of uh, the understanding of irony and and bombast ceasing to be ironic or ceasing to be satirical and bombast becoming the thing mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah you know um and then at at we we've, we've also by this time in the real world um seen um uh, the dissolution, well, not dissolution, the, the threats that we are facing are very different, have changed from what there was in 1987. 
the doomsday clock in 1987 was entirely about, you know, nuclear Holocaust. And as we've talked about on the podcast, any number of times before, mm-hmm. um, so much of our science fiction and so much of our fantasy reflected that fear of an apocalypse. Well, after a while for anybody playing the game, anybody picking the game up knew this idea of, you know, 10 minutes to midnight, five minutes to midnight, you know, it is, you know, nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine, M forty one. Um, like we're we're literal minutes from midnight at the end of the forty forty first millennium. Like for anybody who joined the game or started the game after fifth edition, like that doesn't have the same kind of relevance as for a Gen Xer, right? Because millennials don't remember a time don't don't remember the cold war you know they 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 were many of them most of them were born before it was over but they don't really they they weren't saturated in it the way we were right and so for them this seems tired like you know for for fuck's sake when are you going to move on like can we can we bring something else into this can we do something change something up and kind of in the same way that like when third edition became fourth edition D and D you know, a lot of the mechanics in fourth edition D and D were very clearly borrowing from the way MMOs work. Right. Because newer players had their introduction to Dungeons and Dragons style fantasy, not through Dungeons and Dragons, but through mm-hmm. Warcraft or world of Warcraft. Right. And so, you know, generationally, there is this, this need to introduce something new, do something different. Um, and so part of, part of my issues are also rooted in being old and, you know, get off my lawn. And I, I kind of reckon I've come to be at peace with that. And that's part of the reason why I've, you know, given in and, and gotten into, started getting into 10th. Um, but now with ninth edition into 10th edition, uh, there was this seismic change with eighth edition. Mm-hmm. And now that's become the new, because I mean, it's only been six that's years. The new norm. That's the new and, bottom. Yeah. And that's the new normal. Mm-hmm. Now we have the Indomitus crusade as being part of the present of the game and Primaris chapters of Marines uh, and, and older chapters of Marines getting Primaris members and learning how to how to upgrade themselves and you know into how, how to get the new implants and turn you know become primaris and we've had classic characters from chapters like the space wolves uh and the blood angels uh cross the rubicon primaris in the language of the game and so they've got new models who now have buffed up stat lines because they got the new parts Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's a solid business reason to do this. Like, well, okay, anybody who has a Ragnar Blackman model, like they've bought that model, they don't need to buy another one until, oh, hey, look, right. now, and and well, there's and also the Xers are finally getting a, a share of the economy. Like, 
<laughs> and I mean, th- yes. that cannot be understated. Like I was thinking about, you know, the fact that my brother has the model of a Tarrasque and a giant fucking dragon. Like, I know what those things cost. And I'm like, man, you're mm. doing well. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, like, geeks like the symbols, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's, it's one of those things of like, oh, wow, we do have some of us have those of us who are hobbyists mm-hmm. and stuff like that often will now have because we'll be in our 40s and 50s. Yeah. We will often now have money to spend on these things. So it makes sense that the thing that we grew up only having, you know, this little bit here, this little bit there, now our price point is much higher. So I think there's just an economic aspect there too. But I yeah. do think there's this weird um flattening of populism that has happened when you elect clown shoes as leaders throughout <laughs> the world. Okay. Because you have populism, as we've spoken of in the Hulk Hogan episode, mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of populism that has really flattened the class curve in a lot of ways. So, like, I'm sorry, but, like, there's not that much reverence for high office anymore. So why would there mm. be that much mythological reverence for Primarchs now? Yeah. So they are okay. more accessible. Just, you can purchase yeah. them. They are not just background of, like, like there is um, Strahd miniatures. For Curse of Strahd in D&D. There's a part of me that's like, he should always be in the background pulling the strings and never someone you actually encounter that you can do battle with. Like, and, if you if you solve. run into Strahd, you're fucking dead, man. Theoretically, right? Like, But, but now it's normal to, like, Tiamat should be the thing you always run from. Or, and the game ends in your your epic battle with Tiamat and you die heroically, right? Yeah. No, now you could conceivably You could take her. Right. And I think that some again <laughs> there's we, there's a part of me, there's a part of me yeah. that wants wants to make a statement about, you know, uh the the arrogance of ignorance there. <laughs> like, yeah, I could right. take her. Right. Uh, but, you know, the thing is though, yeah. is that we we again at the age that we're at, we have done this our whole lives where's the next place you go well it is it is that final thing right yeah um and also our price point and also i genuinely do think that like you know time and again we have been shown that the people that we have lauded and the people that we have put on pedestals have proven um harmfully human uh in Mm -hmm. in all kinds of terrible ways uh through our access to them via social media and and so forth um you know and i also think that uh it could also be just on a personal level you know in 2017 when you backed away from it there were a few things happening politically yes but also personally you were getting ready to be a dad mm, you true know? so you got to trim the fat <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I, yeah i'd love to paint minis but i've got to build a crib you know yeah and, and the reprioritization of your life interestingly coincides with the fact that your son is your, your child is now of school age. Mm. There's something there there too, you know? So I don't know the wallpaper I had. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, um, you know, I do think though that on, on a much more macro level, a zoomed out level, mm. not everybody is, is the, the, the father of, of a, you know, school age child now. Um, so I do think that uh, we we're seeing that that price point go up because we have a greater share of the economy than we did 12, mm-hmm. 13 years ago. And I, I do think that uh, also 
that economy has grown around these games. And so the price points have gone up as well. Yeah, that is certainly true. And again, that that flattening of of our lauding of public figures, I, I genuinely do think. I mean, fucking Boris Johnson. I mean, really, <laughs> you know, like, they tried with with the person who who came in after him. And then mm-hmm. now they're really trying with Richie Sunak is like, hey, <laughs> uh, it's in his name. Um, yeah. And also, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it, it, 10 we'll, Downing we'll... Street is the closest you'll ever get to this asshole. Like he's yeah. an oligarch's oligarch, you know? Yeah. Um, will, will he outlast the head of lettuce? Is right. my question. Like, right. You know, you know, but more importantly though, like they're trying to go back to no, these are unreachable people and yeah. and their idealized versions. And it's like the the, yeah. the bloom's already off the rose. Yeah. And and so. in that context, mm-hmm. an, an interesting kind of side note, you know, you talk about the the flattening of, of populism in the novelization of Gulliman's story of of returning to life mm-hmm. he winds up traveling to Terra and he visits his father the emperor mm. and what he finds out is there there is bigger spoiler alert for a novel that's you know seven, six years old um he 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 is his, his, the emperor is so psychically powerful that like you can't avoid his his thoughts if you are somebody like a primarch and uh he sees the emperor is conscious and has been conscious for the last 10,000 years the emperor sees him mm-hmm. and all of the emperor's will is directed toward maintaining the astronomicon and and the and the wards and everything protecting earth and so he's not able to put on any kind of pretense. And so telepathically, Gulliman realizes that the emperor sees him and and is pleased that his tool has returned. That the emperor never saw him or any of the other primarchs as his sons. They had they had spoken of him and revered him as their father. They they had this view of him as this paternal figure, and to the emperor, they were a project. Well, that hits way too close to home politically. And, um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so you know, and and so there's there's some things going on there with you know uh, perception of of power. Well, and yeah, the the. Um the veil being lifted uh, mm. by, by proximity to that power too. Cause never yeah. had gotten to him before, you know? Yeah. And so, but again, I think some of that is also, I mean, fuck 62 books. You're going to get to that development. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> that's I mean, true. 19 books in the Yuzhan Vong, we killed one solo kid off. Like well, that's true. Kibaka died to start the whole thing. Spoiler alert on a book that's over 20 years old. Um, you know, you killed the family dog in the first book, and then you killed like the the scion of the solo uh, Skywalker legacy in like the twelfth book. Yeah. Um. You know, and and you know, it's and Akbar dies too. You know, like yeah. uh, although that was kind of a, a shout out to um uh our 
FDR. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, but you know, I mean, you you have these are going to be natural progressions that happen in a story this long, because uh, how else are you going to keep us interested? How else are you going to pay things yeah. off? What's yeah, the true. point of having a sixty-two book arc? Yeah, uh, you know, if yeah. you're not going to, you know, or, or more, I assume, because they probably yeah. haven't finished. <clears throat> but what's the point of having that arc if you're not going to end the story finally? Yeah, um, which itself is its own like uh, take on an Armageddon clock too. Of like, you know, well, yeah. we're going to finally finish this for you. Yeah, that so, all that all makes sense. I mean, and and since 2017, we have seen the death of Han Solo, yeah. Luke Skywalker, and Princess yeah. Leia. Mm. Yeah, it's true. So, but that is true. So anyway, those are those are my my rejoinders and thoughts as to why why you're seeing Primarchs actually at the table now. Yeah. So and I yeah, and and I think um, you know, like like I said in the last episode, I had not really been able to come to a conclusion about it. And and so this has been my number one attempt at educating you about <laughs> this central part of 40k lore and sure. trying to come to an answer to this question i think i think i think all of those are are strong explanations i think i think as with everything it is a combination of factors and i think those are compelling ones and i, I also think that you know as you say stated in our cyberpunk episodes and as we've stated when discussing things like satire um maybe the genre is coming to an end on some levels because we've caught up to it. Like mm -hmm. the reason we don't have cyberpunk much anymore is because we're living it. Um, yeah. I think maybe good hasn't won very much lately. Yeah. Know? And yeah. so you have a, a intellectual property and it's not like they're not going to try to milk it. Of course they are. But yeah. they, they have to go toward what society wants in some levels. But you have a grim, dark satire that we have outstripped. Good doesn't win. So, okay, yeah, you know what? This is this this is gonna suck, but yeah, you're gonna meet you're gonna meet the 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 leader and it ain't gonna be good, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And Oh, you, you want dark? We'll go dark. And it's like, oh, we're already darker than that. Um, but we're gonna follow it through. You know, like there's <laughs> yeah, like the it, it no longer needs to be a a warning to us. We've blown past that completely. Yeah. Yeah, we missed that warning a while ago. Yeah. So it just yeah, it seems to me that it would make sense that you're also meeting the emperor, solving the question of is he alive or is he dead? Mm. It turns out he is alive and shitty, um, and, <laughs> which yeah. you know one one of the one of the recurrent themes of all of the stories that we mm -hmm. got over the course of twenty five plus years is um, as a dad he was a pretty shitty one. Like anytime would, it was a, yeah. it, it, anytime it was the story of a chaos primarch, there was always going to be this moment where you were like, wow, Biggie, that was a dick move. Like, and I'd be interested in seeing what these men's relationships with their dads were. Um, 
or their relationships, honestly, their their ideas toward the government, because very often, as we've seen with uh, the spy who just died recently, uh, Hansen with two S's, um, mm-hmm. he had a terrible relationship with his father, and that that then transposed onto his relationship with his country that he was supposed to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty common uh, weakness to exploit. Oh yeah. Um, and so you yeah, know, just like when we looked at uh, Simon and Siegel when they created uh, Superman, one mm-hmm. of them had a dad who was shot to death in mm-hmm. a robbery. So naturally, yep. his hero is bulletproof. Bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, beyond the explanation to the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is your, what is your takeaway here? Um, final thoughts, reflections. I'm worried what's going to come next. I mean, Grimdark came around because Margaret Thatcher and like <laughs> yeah. cyberpunk came around because Ronald Reagan on a lot of levels, you know? Yeah. And it's worse. It is magnitude <laughs> worse. Yeah. And I don't. I don't think we can psychologically handle the, the proportional <laughs> reaction. Yeah. So no, I get, I'm really I get what you curious. Mean. I'm curious as to what'll, what'll happen next. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I want to say based on what I see with my students who are post zoomers, like they're young enough that, I don't think they even qualify as, as Gen Z. Right. They're, they're Gen Alpha. I, I believe right now, I choose to believe that I think what we are going to see, what they are going to react to. And so what we are going to see being reflected, mm-hmm. um, cause they're too young to be writing it, but other people are going to see that they're, they're picking it up when it's put down. I I think there's room for some level of hope punk. I you know and that's the thing I was going to say next was that I really hope it's muppets. <laughs> I really hope that like I really yeah I'm with the you. next generation like I fully agree. Let's let's muppet the shit out of things. Like, I I think I think it's likely to be if in 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 the world I'm 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 envisioning that I that I want to visualize into existence based on what I'm seeing with my students, it's going to be mm-hmm. um, the Muppets with a lot of middle fingers. I'm down for if that. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, um, because they are the, 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 the majority of them, because there's assholes in any, in any demographic, Sure, but the majority of them are um, fiercely compassionate. Mm-hmm. They are they are very strongly motivated by a sense of justice. They are pissed off with everybody who came before them, mm-hmm. and you know, justifiably so. Um, and so I hope, I genuinely hope that we see that that reflected as as Muppets with a lot of swearing and middle fingers, like. Yeah, I mean, I see the aggrievement more than I see the optimism. I see the compassion mixed with a, you can't do that. 
um, but not so much uh, a, a I don't see hope with them. I see okay. defiance. Um, and again, I would love to see it, but I, you know, I teach a, a level slightly higher than the one you teach, but my partner teaches yeah. one that is b- below the one that you teach. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing is that like, we traumatize the shit out of these kids, mm. uh, partly to keep them safe. And, and because we are so ill prepared, um, mm-hmm. we did it, we did a Herculean task, but, um, yeah. the knock on effect has been wildly traumatic and i think that that has in many ways burnt the lithium battery of hope down to 79 percent. okay and it will never charge beyond that for them so mm. I, I you know i'd like to be wrong but yeah. I, I really would like there to be more muppets I, yeah <laughs> um you know there's that meme going around of like you know replace all the characters with muppets but one yeah um and that's that's kind of a fun exercise um you know, I, 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 of course, go into like really terrible, terrible shit and say, oh, uh, keep the cleaning lady who walks in on Jennifer Connolly almost overdosing um, in in Requiem for a Dream. But everyone else is Muppets. Everybody else is Muppets. Yeah. Because yeah. see, see, I immediately <laughs> went I immediately went to 40K and uh-huh. and, you know, my my first thought was um, Malcolm Russ is what is is Hugh Jackman and everyone else is Muppets. <laughs> That that could be awesome, <laughs> but I was actually thinking Malkador the Sigilite is, I don't some English actor somebody, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody else is Muppets. Um, and anybody who knows forty K lore will will find that pretty funny. But um, yeah, Malkador was essentially the Emperor's like right hand mortal psyker, like he's the second most powerful psychic in 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 the human race, mm. and yeah, so he's. He's human, but all the Primarchs are very large Muppets. There you go. And like, yeah. So. Anyway. uh, So. So as neither of us want to be found, I'm just going to go to recommendations and then what they should do about this podcast. Uh, So what are you recommending people imbibe or take in as far as medium goes? Um. I'm going to very strongly recommend that everybody uh, watch um, Kenobi, which is total, total departure from what we've been talking about. Um, But there is, even though we know how that story is going to end, there is an optimism, kind of a wan kind of optimism, but there's an optimism at the end of that story. Um, I think it's a very powerful uh, story of personal recovery. I don't know if I want to say redemption, mm-hmm. um, but Obi-Wan's arc in that story is really powerful. Um, and and him him starting where he starts and ending where he ends is is positive and hopeful. And I was I. It, it affected me a great deal. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to strongly recommend Kenobi. How about you? I'm actually going to, uh, so this will be kind of niche because you have to have uh, the Disney plus for it, but, um, or maybe the ABC app. I doubt it though. Um, but uh, the Muppets mayhem, it's a 10 episode series. Uh, and it's, it's basically electric mayhem tries to make an album. 
Um, and more, I've more seen to the, the point, ads for that. Yeah, more to the point, actually, the the human, um, the the Nora Singh, uh, played by Lily Singh, uh, the human, um, the record executive tries to get Electric Mayhem to make an album. Okay, and it's it's just fun. Uh, each episode is named <laughs> after a song title, and sometimes nice. it comes into play. There's a goat involved named Darren that Animal likes. <laughs> um, there's there's just so much fun goodness to it. All right, cool. And uh, I mean, they they redecorate Danny Trejo's house without telling him. Um, and it's just oh, it's fantastic! It is absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to recommend all ten episodes of that because okay, it's worth it. Very so, cool. Yeah, very so. cool. All right, where where can they find this podcast, and where should they? Uh, what should they do about it? Well, depending on how you are listening to us right now, um, you can go to wubba 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 dot geekhistorytime dot com. Uh, if you are listening to us, you've either found us there or on uh, Stitcher or on the Apple podcast app. Um, however, you have found us, please uh, take the time to subscribe and give us the five-star review uh, that you know we deserve. Um, and we can collectively be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. And is there any place you can be found, sir? Nope. Like I said, we're both uh, off the grid right now. Yeah. So it's just this podcast. So. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for this. For A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war.